all of these products are making billions of dollars for pharmaceutical companies and they work and we should just put up with them and keep recycling them and giving them to our children generation after generation. It's like, no. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. My very last run-in with birth control was the copper IED, also known as the Paragard, at the age of 31. Now, this was after well over 10 years of not using hormonal birth control. Now, I chose the copper IED because it was the only birth control without hormones, and I figured it was relatively harmless compared to other hormonal birth control on the market. Now, I was very wrong. I barely lasted six months. I think it may have been five. The symptoms for me were simply not worth it, and I am not alone. Approximately 50% of women get off of birth control, even IUDs, in less than a year after starting to use them. Now, I remember going back to my doctor explaining my symptoms and being told that the IUD, especially the copper IUD, doesn't really have any systemic effects. Basically, I was told that I was making it all up. Needless to say, he still took it out. And the most recent research looking at IUDs specifically shows that intrauterine contraceptive devices appear to have systemic effects on the body akin to those associated with hormone replacement therapy. Although women like myself have previously reported experiencing adverse events after receiving an IUD that were similar to the adverse events associated with oral hormone replacement, manufacturers continue to claim that IUDs have a purely local effect on the uterus. Now, for anyone who's had an IUD in and experienced some crazy side effects like myself, but were told that it was impossible due to IUDs only acting locally on the uterus, here is your proof, right? There is new research out that shows that you are not crazy. We aren't crazy, and we deserve to know the facts. And that's exactly why... I'm having today's conversation with Abby Epstein. We wanna talk about the unspoken. We wanna talk about the conversation that is not being had when it comes to birth control, specifically hormonal birth control and IUDs. Now, Abby and I feel very aligned that women deserve to know the nitty gritty about birth control so that they can make informed choices about their bodies. I want you to know that you deserve all the facts to make the best choice for your body based on your circumstances and your health. And in some instances, it may be hormonal birth control, or it may be an IUD, or maybe it's a natural method like natural cycles. At the end of the day, we deserve to know what's happening with our body, what we're putting into our body, and the impact that it's going to have on our reproductive system, our mood, our brain, our metabolic system. We deserve to know all of these things. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, before I bring on Abby, I want to quickly sing her praises. Abby Epstein made her film directing debut in 2004 Sundance Film Festival with the documentary V-Day, featuring Jane Fonda, Salma Hayek, and Rosie Perez. The film won both an Emmy and a Grace Allen Award. In 2007, she teamed up with Bricky Lake for their widely acclaimed documentary, The Business of Being Born, which premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and was acquired by New Line Cinema and Netflix and broadcasted on Showtime. Under their company... Bob Films, Miss Epstein and Miss Ricky Lake produced documentaries called Breast Milk and The Mama Sherpas, and most recently, what we're going to be talking about today, The Business of Birth Control. Let's welcome Abby Epstein to the show. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Abby Epstein, how are you doing today? I am so great and I'm so happy to be here. Mm, I am so happy to have you. It is such a privilege. And I was telling you, we were just having a little quick conversation, is that I the first time I really seen your work and your passion was in the V-Day documentary that I just fell in love with way back in, gosh, when I was really getting into the work of women's health and really just learning about how can we better educate and empower women to know their bodies, own their bodies, and you know become the CEO of really owning that. Like I get to decide what's going on with myself. And right now we're talking about the business of birth control, which is your newest documentary with Ricky Lake. And I want to know in the the work that you've done in, in really the investigation of figuring out, you know, all the different ways that we mislead women, that, that, that we affect women's bodies without them always knowing what's going on. Kind of what was that defining moment for you, Abby, that you were like, you know what, this is the work that needs to be done. You know, it's so funny because I guess it was very much, I think, my work back in the day with the vagina monologues. I think that whole experience directing that show all over the world and then making the documentary about the movement, it was almost like I felt like I went back to school and got like a PhD in gender studies. (laughs) And I was always... Before that, even when I, you know, had been directing theater in college, you know, I felt like I was, I was always kind of, I would say directed more towards like women's voices. Like I was always very aware that women's voices were underrepresented in a lot of mediums. So I was already like kind of directing like feminist plays by female playwrights. And, you know, I was already in that world to some degree. And then I think that journey on the vagina monologues was just so eye-opening to me. And just to see globally the way that women are so disconnected and so disempowered and violated and what goes on, I think, around women's bodies and the way that that gets tangled up in control and politics and power is just, I think, one of the most oppressive issues that we face globally. It's like one of the biggest reasons for poverty. And I mean, I mean, just the, you could go on and on. And I, it's ironic because at the end of the vagina monologues, I'm sure you remember, (laughs) but there's um, a monologue about giving birth. And I remember that there were midwives who were like upset with certain things about that monologue. And I just didn't know anything really about the childbirth world. And I was kind of like, oh, why are they so upset? And you know, it's like, God, can't they just get on board? You know, it's a feminist play. And then ironically, Ricky Lake, who I'd met in the play, she um, and I worked on this documentary called The Business of Being Born that we started way back. It came out in 2008. And that was almost like another jump for me, right? Because it was like, there I was thinking I was this like super empowered feminist and understood all these issues around the vagina and the body. And then it was like, oh, birth? Oh, wait, what do you mean? I, I had no idea that these issues also kind of that there was like, an entire another vertical, you know, of women's reproductive rights and and activism and body reclamation to be done around childbirth. So then I went on that journey um, Mm -hmm. with Mm. Ricky, right? Making that movie. And I became pregnant during the filming of the movie. So my own story, my own birth ended up in the movie. I mean, it was just like crazy. (laughs) 
So that, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean oh. birth. Oh my gosh. I mean, the <laughs> lack of informed consent, you know, the lack of power women have, you know, the, ooh, I mean, just millions of birth stories of just women just feeling like they didn't even know what was going on. No, you know? no, it's, it's the lack of informed consent is really terrible. And I think we were sort of then in that world, right. For like the next five or six years. And we made a bunch of sequels and then again, I will say I kind of had another disconnect around the birth control industry, you know, mm. again, like it wasn't clear to me that even having been a person who was on the pill for like the better part of a decade and had very negative experiences using hormonal birth control, I mean, I still was completely in the dark. And, you know, it wasn't until I think it was about 2015 or 2014 when Holly Griggs Ball sent us a galley of her book, Sweetening the Pill. And she just like sent over this galley like, hey, I'm, you know, wrote this book and I've been working with some people on a documentary. And I feel that like maybe you and Ricky are like the right people to bring this to life. And I just like read the book on the airplane from New York to L.A., and then I got off the plane, went to Ricky's house, and I just was like, I just connected so many dots in my own history reading this book. I'm just shocked at what I hadn't known and what had really never been discussed. Right. You know? That you were having these side effects and it, you know, so often it's just it's just the way it is. It's just like, oh, this is, we just tolerate this. It's just kind of how, how we have to manage in order to not get pregnant. Right. And we're just told that that's the way, and, and even worse that, oh, this is a solution for hormone issues, um, and irregular menstrual cycles. But yeah, I mean, you start to look and dissect it at a deeper level and you're just, and it's, ugh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not okay. You know, I, no. I, I, the longest I ever tolerated birth control was a year. It just, I couldn't, you know, and I was so grateful that my body just was like, nope, this isn't, this isn't going to work. <laughs> um, yeah. But for so many people, you know, women, they're on it for so long, despite the side effects, despite, you know, the adverse impact it has on their body. And like, you start to really dissect what birth control is doing, hormonal birth control, even, even the copper IUD. And you begin to realize like, gosh, we've just, we've got to do better. Absolutely. And I really, I think... I was also like of that generation that, you know, I think we didn't really question doctors or question things. There really wasn't this kind of alternative health movement or like hormonal health coaches or, you know, I mean, there wasn't social media. So there wasn't really a way to even access a lot of information. I don't know. I mean, I, I read this book and then Ricky and I sat down and I was like, I kind of think this might be our next documentary because this actually affects way more years in a woman's reproductive lifespan than childbirth. This really impacts everyone. And it's really scary to talk about for mm -hmm. polit political reasons yeah. and financial reasons as mm -hmm. well. And nobody wants to talk about it. And feminists don't want to talk about it. And we're going to take a lot of heat for bringing this up. And we're probably going to be ahead of our time, just like we were with the business of being born, <laughs> but let's just do it, you know? And I'm just, it really, I feel 
what's interesting about the movie, the journey of making the movie is first of all, how ready women were to talk about this and have a film that talks about this. And like when we did, uh, we did a Kickstarter fundraising campaign originally to raise money for the movie. And I was just shocked at how many people gave to that campaign and were just like sharing their stories. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Finally, someone's speaking about this, right? So the, when the movie finally came together, now what I think is sort of interesting is that what's been like more challenging, right? Is to kind of get this movie up on any kind of a mainstream platform. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, it's just- still very, I mean, on a, on a grassroots level, yeah, on a woman to woman level, women are down to have this. They want to know. They, they, mm-hmm. you know, they come off of birth control. Things aren't right. They're having symptoms. They're on birth control. They don't feel great, but they don't think there's another alternative. But then also like they, every woman gets to decide what they need, what they want to be on and, you know, when they get pregnant and, and there's that aspect of it too. It's just so complicated, but also we don't deserve to feel like to feel awful, to feel miserable, to feel you know, our moods are all over the place. Like it, we just don't. And we also don't, My I think my biggest issue with hormonal birth control is the ancillary usage of it. You know, when I was growing up, I you know grew up in the, the 90s and hormonal birth control fixed everything. You know, you had hair issues, get on that. You know, you got acne, that'll fix it. And I just remember like it was touted as like this, this cure-all for all young girl issues. And it just, and I bought into it. I wasn't on hormonal birth control because of contraception. Like many women, I was on it because my cycle was irregular. I didn't realize that it was sugar that was causing my cycle to be so all over the place. No one was looking at any of the root causes of what my menstrual cycle was was indicating. And so, yeah, just put her on the pill. And God, what an awful experience that was. And, and let me tell you, it didn't fix any of the issues that I was dealing with. And that's where I really, I really struggle is that no one's giving me the, the highlight reel of the side effects. No one, you know, everyone's just like, oh, this is going to fix it. And if this one doesn't fix it, we got another one for you. You know, and, and so ultimately I was put on, I was put on the depo shot. And it took over a year to get my period back at, at the age of 20. And so it you know, just put an awful taste in my mouth, that is for sure. And I know that there are so many millions of women out there who, are, who want to know more about it, but there's so much regulation, you know, because this is supposed to be such an empowering option for us. A hundred percent. And I think that what I see happening is that sort of mentality is not going to hold water with Gen Z particularly, this is not going to hold water. I mean, this generation, especially, first of all, they're looking for gender parity. I mean, you know, gender is a whole different thing anyway, to begin with. So, you know, they're not believing in this gender binary that we grew up with. And I think in a great way, what kind of goes with that, right, is sort of like looking at where does responsibility for contraception lie? you know and i'm i am seeing like some really incredible new startups for male contraception things like that but even outside of like the gender parity i also think that you know we're now at a place where for better or for worse you know people don't trust institutions especially for profit institutions i should say and people don't trust 
corporations, especially pharmaceutical corporations. And I think we've been through a hellacious opiate epidemic that was like peeled wide open. And I think a lot of people were shocked at just how transparent the way that they changed and lied to doctors and changed data and the greed that fueled that. So, you know, now I just think people's eyes are a little bit more open and they understand everything pretty much, I think, these days. Whatever you're putting in your body, right? It needs to be researched. You need to advocate for yourself. I think that's a great thing. And that's why I'm I'm feeling like this big shift sort of happening in a, in a very big way. Women are, I mean, women have every right to be cynical. Women have every right to second guess, get a second opinion. You know, women write to me every day, you know, a hysterectomy is on the docket. Is this something uh-huh. I should be doing? I'm like, get a second opinion. You know, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's worthwhile. You're talking about a massive alteration in your chemistry and your body that's going to change everything. That's a whole different conversation, but we are getting more educated. We are challenging. We are asking questions and, and, and advocating for ourselves in a way that we never had before. As uncomfortable as it is, this is the type of knowledge. This is the type of documentary. I know it's being I know it, it's it's going to be censored, <laughs> and you know because the powers that be you know don't want to rock the boat on this, but we we deserve to know. Yeah, we do. We really do. And what I find I think the most frustrating, and this was sort of my experience, right, with birth control as well, is there's a such a paternalistic attitude toward health and toward kind of like. Women, not you don't really need to understand how this works. Just shut and it you up. don't just, I'm just going to give you the top line, you know, and, and it's like, we were all given this kind of like, well, you know, don't smoke. <laughs> that was kind of it. Like, yeah. Just don't smoke when you're taking this. Yeah. Don't you know? smoke when you're taking this. And if you're like over 35 or obese, you know, there were those kind of like, as long as you don't fall into those categories, oh, you know, you're totally fine. Well, a lot of that has even gone out the window because I know women who are 50 who are still taking the pill. No, um, are you kidding? every day, every day a woman comes to me. My doctor put me on at 44 to deal with my estrogen dominance, you know, yeah, you know, and, and, um, and heading into menopause. And I've been told that I can't get off of it. And if I get off of it, it's all going to fall apart. And yeah. I'm like, wait, she's, and I have women reaching out to me at 56, 57 years old. And they're like, I don't know if I'm in menopause. I don't know if I went through menopause. And yeah. I was like, you did, you did, <laughs> but you're on a very highly high synthetic pill that even hormone replacement therapy isn't at that level. We, we got to get you off of this. My focus is women in perimenopause and menopause. And yeah. I'm mind blown how many women are given hormonal birth control to manage their perimenopause symptoms. And Me then too. just, and just ride the train until yeah. in their fifties. And they're wondering what, I don't know what, what's going on. And I'm like, that, that's lazy medicine. That's, that is, that is, Mm. It, it lights me up to no end. If there's a level of outrage <laughs> that I, I get agree. into. No, I agree. And it's like, I'm always shocked when I hear that. And, and I hear women like well into their fifties and they're like, well, you know, I'm just going to keep taking it because, you know, it works for my skin. 
and um, you know, it's it helps with perimenopause symptoms or and I'm like, this is the worst kind of band-aid, you know, solution. Again, it goes to this whole idea, right? That like nobody understands how women's bodies work. So let's just consider them broken and let's medicate them from like the age of 14, you know, through 60 or whatever. I mean, all let's the way, just, you know, med- just- yeah. Let's just like medicate them all the way because then we could just like turn it all off. Turn, turn it off. off. Turn yeah. it all off. You exactly. don't need them. You no. don't need, definitely don't need ovulation. I mean, who needs that? You know, you don't. Know, you know, that's just, let's just, it makes me shiver, you know? Yeah. But, in a way, it sort of goes hand in hand with this kind of handmaid's tale reality that we're living in. You know, to me, it's even what's happened with Roe v. Wade, you know, and with the overturn of abortion and all of that, it's it's the same to me. It's all the same issue. It's just another aspect. You know, it's just another place where the powers that be are looking to control women's fertility it's really always about power, you know? And I think if you want to get sort of to the root of it, I think women's bodies are such miracles and they actually are incredibly intimidating on a certain level. I mean, when I was making the business of being born, the first time I saw a woman give birth, I was like, I literally said, I go, oh, I know why men are scared of us. I mean, it's like watching a God, you know, it's like, it's unbelievable. And I think that it just kind of goes back to the very root of misogyny in some way, you know, that I think women's bodies are incredible and incredibly complicated and miraculous. And there has just kind of always been this threat, right? This sort of like putting layers of shame, layers of dysfunction, disconnecting women from their power source, really, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of our many superpowers. Our hormones are are such powerful superpowers. And that was identified very easily, very quickly. You know, how do we diminish women? We take away their superpowers. Um, We control their superpowers. And and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing an advent of women struggling with severe complications and symptoms because we've, we've found so many different ways to either chemically alter or physically alter the, the superpowers or just not tell them anything about their yeah. superpowers and and convince them that they diminish over yeah. time. Um, this is how we control. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I think it's interesting because both of our films from The Business of Being Born and The Business of Birth Control, you know, we looked at things that were supposed to be empowering, right? That were sort of even like, let's say pain medication in childbirth. You know, this was something that like feminists advocated for the same way that feminists advocated, right? For birth control, potentially. Although it has a much darker, darker racist history that we show in the film, you know, and so we're sort of raised to look at all of these modern options, right? As empowering. And when you do turn that on your head and say, well, you know, what is empowering about shutting off your period or turning off your cycle or having your legs up in stirrups and being hooked up to monitors and machines? Well, if if you sort of like flip it on its head, right? It starts to make sense. And I think that's why the business of being born was so impactful and continues to be so impactful. But, you know, what I find 
really sad is that, you know, when you threaten the status quo like that, some of the biggest gatekeepers to this information are women. And they may be women obstetricians or doctors or, you know, I'm always like so disheartened, you know, like I saw an Instagram post the other day on a very big thread, you know, with a couple million followers. And it was the story of a woman who had had a blood clot from the birth control pill and it had her story. And then all throughout the comments in the thread, hundreds of comments, I was sort of blown away by how many other people chimed in. This happened to me. This happened mm-hmm. to me. This happened to me. So you're starting, first of all, I'm thinking, who is counting, right? Like this thing that they're saying is so rare, but then on this thread of like a couple hundred comments, why are there so many? But then what really made my heart sink were the comments in between that were so defensive and people wrote things like, well, it's very clearly stated on the label. It's the risks have always been written like you knew, honey. And, you know, that kind of thinking to me, to me, that's this kind of internalized, you know, misogyny. It's almost like it's almost like so threatening in some way, you know, to be able to like actually openly criticize something that might have been a pillar of feminism in days gone by. But, you know, I'm like, where is the empathy? Like, where are these people? Are you kidding me? This woman had this horrible event, this terrifying event of having a blood clot in her brain from taking birth control. And she's in the hospital and you're literally writing, essentially your writing serves you right. I mean, you're saying, oh, well, it it said so on the packet. It's kind of like, you know, when a woman gets raped and, but she had a dress on. Exactly. Exactly, Marisa. Exactly. No, exactly. And it's this kind of, I was so shocked reading this post, this kind of blame game. And it just, it makes me furious because first of all, no, that's not true. The side effects are not clearly written. No, they're not. They're fine print and they're dismissed. You know, you say, hey, you know, I've had, you know, I'm a little concerned. My family's got a history of this. So often it's just brushed off. It's just brushed off. You know, I I remember when the symptoms, you know, all the side effects of the depot were were said to me, it was, don't worry about it. It's all good. You know, I remember the dismissal that there should be no concern. You know, now we know that long-term use of the depot, I think over two years, guarantees osteoporosis. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, and, 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 and absolutely can happen earlier than that. Don't think it has to be just two years or over, it's got to be over two years. I think that's what really is disturbing to me is like, that's one of the worst case scenarios of a blood caught, you know, heading into the brain or into the lungs. What about all of the other more insidious kind of behind the scenes side effects, what it's doing to your brain chemistry at a right. young age, how it's changing that, what it's doing to your neurotransmitters, you, you know, to your long-term cardiovascular vascular health. Yeah. So you don't get a blood clot at 22 years old, but what's happening to you at 55? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the thing that's infuriating about it is, you know, this isn't like cigarettes, right? Where it's like, oh, but it says on the packet and you chose to smoke cigarettes. This isn't like a leisure product. You know, this is like we were saying in the beginning, this is a medication that very, very young girls are placed on for Before 18. Con- exactly. With, without, really without their consent. Without their, their parents consent. making these decisions. 
And by the way, without good reason, it's like, you know, yeah, I was exactly the same as you. Like I was strongly suggested, essentially put on it for the same kind of, you know, a regular cycle. And of course, looking back, it's like, I never needed to be on that pill. I never needed one day of that pill. And I'm sure you didn't. It did. It was such a disservice. It set me back so many more years. Yes. We didn't address the core root of those issues. I didn't figure those out until I had another major hormone concern, which by the way, I was recommended Xanax and birth control for, severe chronic fatigue. And that was the defining moment for me. I remember walking out of that doctor's (sighs) office, holding onto these prescriptions and thinking, oh, hell no. We, we have to do better. I, this, I, girl, I've been down this rodeo and it was specifically for a menstrual cycle issue. This isn't a menstrual cycle issue this time, you know, and it's just like, oh no, here, just take some of these. And I was like, there's no part of these scripts that are going to fix this, my mitochondria, you know, on a cellular level. And that was it. I was just like, this can't be what millions of women are walking into doctor's offices. And this is what we're getting. No, this can't I- be it. It's shocking. And I think that, you know, look, again, when we made the movie at the heart of all of our movies is always about free choice and informed consent. So like in no way would I ever want to tell anybody what to do with their body. And I think that there are a lot of people who have very good reasons and make sound choices and they want to be on some kind of a really solid contraception for a certain period of their life. And I think that a hundred percent you need to be able to make that choice, but within that choice, right? What's wrong with talking about mitigating the side effects or even identifying them? You know, to me, that's kind of what drives me crazy. It's like the women who went down this severe road of mental health and spent years on antidepressants and thinking that they had a massive anxiety problem. And then all of a sudden they go off the pill and it's like, oh, Oh my God. The light turned back on. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was the pill. So it's like, if that's your choice, like if you are wanting to try a hormonal contraceptive product and whatever it is, and you've been like sort of counseled, you know, listen, if you feel a mood change, if, you know, you try to track your moods or if you're in a relationship, have your partner sort of track, you know, because sometimes it's hard to understand if it's happening to yourself or if you have like, I feel like you can do that in a way that's not fear-mongering, that's not scary. You can educate women. What are the signs and symptoms of a blood clot? What is the sign that this contraception might not be agreeing with you? Things like that. To me, it's just kind of like, we can't even have those conversations. <laughs> like, right, It's not okay to inform us what these drugs are doing. Right. You know, when, when they're going to throw off your cycle, they're going to turn off your hormones. These Again, these superpowers, it's mind-blowing that we don't get to have intelligent, informed conversations about what's about to happen to our bodies. And even more so that if I'm coming into the office because I've got, you know, some symptomology that I can't identify that what is recommended to me is a a pill that's going to completely try to diminish those symptoms. I can't even figure out what's going on and then lend to other side effects. You know, this this is the type of medicine that I'm most concerned about. Like we're, we're handing these out like candy to fix an issue that's being driven by something else. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And now, you know, it's very hard because I'm a big believer in, in access, right? Of course, 
But now that access is becoming go to a website and sign up and somebody mails you a packet of pills, it's scary. It's very hard for me to get on board with that because I don't think that those people are being counseled or vetted enough, you know, and it's a very powerful medication. It is. Let's just, yeah, highlight how powerful. We have not highlighted every single hormone on this show. Let me tell you, (laughs) we we talk a lot about the two queen bees, progesterone and estrogen. We're talking about metabolic hormones, proliferative hormones. We're talking about hormones that affect every single cell in the body, bone health, cardiovascular health, brain health, neurotransmitter health. All of this, it it matters. It's it's how we function in the world. It's how we wake up in the world. It's how our bodies do what we do every single day. These hormones are constantly at play for how we function. Understanding the importance of them and what they, pl- how they play in our body and the thought of substituting them out for something completely synthetic, we deserve to know that. This isn't the same, st- these are not the same hormones. They're not. And in this show, I go deep into exactly what these chemicals are. What is yeah. the chemical progestin that is in the combination pill versus the mini pill? Because we need to, we need to deserve to know this. Absolutely. And I think that, I think part of the problem, as we know, is that like, if you talk to a mother of a teenage girl, they're very lost and they feel very helpless because they're like, but what am I supposed to do? Like her period so bad, she misses school and, you know, whatever, like, I understand, like, you know, there is a big uptick in, you know, a lot of what's being diagnosed as, you know, PCOS or fibroids or, you know, menstrual pain, extreme menstrual pain is not normal. And like Mm -hmm. what you're saying, that's an underlying symptom of someone else, but it's, it's really, really difficult when you're being offered this kind of one-stop solution. That's not really a solution, but it's taking care of everything in the short term. And then on the other hand, if it's like contraception, let's say you're worried about for a, a teenager, let's say, we don't have a lot of other suitable options for teenagers, you know? So it's really hard. It's like, it's a complicated conversation to have. And even in the movie, it's like, I wish at the end of the movie, I could give you a silver bullet and be like, solved, you know, just Yeah, do the this. rainbow, we got it all, you know? And, and that's why these conversations have to happen. That's why women have, we've got to just become it's important for us to be educated yes. and to be empowered because you asked, like you mentioned earlier, when we were talking about the business of, of birth, is mm-hmm. that our bodies are beautifully complicated and there's so much that are interconnected to our menstrual cycle being such an, a major indicator of our overall health and well-being. Talk about a little like the canary in the coal mine or like a little kind of, you know, a, a check engine sign. Your menstrual cycle is very much that. Um, and it just really speaks to the the need for us to be educated and the need for these conversations to further into having better solutions at our disposal that we can really tap into so that our girls are not struggling with their periods. They're not struggling with severe mood swings. They're not, you know, they're not missing school. You know, this is the conversation of we've got to do better. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that was really our hope in, in making this film, you know, is like at the end of the film, we, we show that there's innovation happening, that there's activists and thought leaders and innovators like coming into this space. And we love that, but that is really was one of the goals of making the film is just to really show the need for us to not just sit back and say, well, you know, all of these products are 
making billions of dollars for pharmaceutical companies and they work and we should just put up with them and keep recycling them and giving them to our children generation after generation. It's like, no, you know, it's really, it's, it's something that was developed in the sixties or developed in the fifties and put on the market in the sixties and was very revolutionary but we're come on. It's, it's 2022. We we got to do we got to do better. The nuance of women's bodies and how you know we get into the whole conversation of of gaslighting women and the lack of yeah. research and it is time. It's finally time that we start really diving into solutions that are going to move the needle to support and enhance our hormones, support and enhance our cycle um, and optimize our superpowers. That's where we're at. It's no more, I, I grew up in the generation of my mom. I remember telling, asking my mom, you know, is it normal to have these awful periods? Is it normal? And she's like, oh yeah, we're just, we're just, this is what we just tolerate. Yeah. And it's no, this is, this is now the time where we're not tolerating this anymore. We're done just saying this is, this is our lot in life. This is just what women have to deal with. This, that, that is over. We are stepping into a time where we're just not willing to tolerate any of it anymore. No, I completely agree. And I think like this whole movement and activism that sprouted up around, you know, menopause and perimenopause, just like my God, in the last couple of years, how many products now have you seen, you know, launching for menopause? And again, I think some of it is unfortunately capitalizing or trying to capitalize on women feeling insecure about their bodies. But the bottom line is that it's like in the zeitgeist now, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, I was just getting interviewed yesterday, a dear friend of mine, and we were talking about, we asked, we, a couple hundred people were on the, on the live with us, like, what did your mama tell you about menopause? It was crickets. Nobody yeah. told nobody about menopause and definitely nobody knew anything about Perry, you know, and talk about if this is a second, it's your second puberty, but it's the second, it's a puberty where you are taking care of your mama and your dad, you're taking yeah. care of your kids, you know, maybe you're even taking care of grandkids. I don't know where you're at in that journey, you know, and you're running, you're probably in the biggest part, like the busiest, most productive and most game-changing time of your life. And everything is going, you know, haywire. Everything's shifting and changing um, in your body. And I don't know what the study was. In 2017, they looked at, you know, new residents out of medical school. Over 70% of them could not identify women in perimenopause or menopause. They just couldn't even... Oh, and just mind blowing to me. Just like we, we, when women are, there's so much confusion around that transition out into this next beautiful phase of our lives. And it's because, you know, society, we just, we talk about this diminishing effect that is happening that doesn't exist. That isn't true. And again, having birth control as, you know, we, we always think about the young girls getting on birth control, but I'm equally as concerned as, as women getting put on birth control in our 40s and 50s when that is not it. That's not the play for optimizing and really supporting our bodies. It's the opposite direction where we need to be going. So that this is, like you said, this is a, an issue that spans generationally and it's an issue. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, I feel so blessed even that I was like making the film about birth control kind of during my like Mary Perry menopausal years, because I've learned so much about hormones. So even though, unfortunately, I sort of missed 
that period in my fertile years in my 20s, you know, I missed a lot of getting to know my cycle or to optimize the benefits of my cycle because I was on the pill. I feel like after I had my children in these years, you know, it's been a real gift. And it's like, I love that in my 40s, I get to use period apps and discover yes. the highs yes. and lows of my cycle. And also I'm like so attuned, right, to my perimenopausal symptoms. So, you know, when I have a cycle that my breasts are sore, you know, I'm able to go to my friend, Nicole Jardim and go, yes. what do I do? What do I do? She's and like, she's, love your liver, girl. <laughs> and she'll like, literally at the first time she helped me, I was just shocked. I was like, but you told me to take like one supplement and everything fixed itself in like six weeks. I mean, it was crazy, but it's like, it's love. I love it. You know, I really love it. Like I just love tracking my cycle now, you know, knowing, you know, however long my cycle, you know, lasts. It's like, I love it. Reproductive longevity. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That's what I'm about. I want to know, like, it. how do we, that was, the juice is worth the squeeze there. Like, yes. how do we extend reproductive longevity for our health and just all of it? That's what I'm fascinated about. You know, yeah. forget suppressing. Let's ride this train. Let's ride it till the wheels fall off. That's what yeah. I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I know. And I feel like so many of, of my peers are doing that, but it's like, nobody has any information. Like everybody comes to me and they're like, Oh, I have migraines now with my period. Oh, I have this. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And it's like funny because I remember a couple of years ago going in for my annual and my OBGYN is like, he's very progressive and very forward thinking. And he's in the business of being born. And, but I mean, I went in there with Dr. Lara Bryden's book. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All highlighted. Yep. And think, and I just sat there with him in my manual and I said, so this and this, and I'd like to do that. Like I just, cause he doesn't have that information. No, no, he, he does not. He does you know? not. And, mo and most, OB unfortunately, even the progressive OBGYNs just don't. They don't um, Laura's on in my event and she and I, we talk all the time and we both are, my menopause book and her perimenopause menopause book came out at the same time. And we were just like, can we talk about insulin resistance? Can we talk about metabolic function? Can we talk about like, you know, yeah. progesterone and, and what it means to, to lose her? When we lose her, you know, yeah. and um, we talk about why it's so critical to be tracking our menstrual cycle during that perimenopause transition. So we really know what is going on. Women think that that's not, not perimenopause. It all just is all just crazy. So it doesn't. We shouldn't be looking at it anyway. And it's you know we've just been told to dismiss it all. No, it's it's a key. It's like a map to yourself. I think you have to send me your book. I will. I've mean, read your book. <laughs> I'm totally like obsessed with this space now. I think that's going to be our next, probably the business of menopause. I was going to say, I was going to ask because <laughs> I feel, and even, you know, and yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And, but in even the perimenopause journey into it too, of just like, what can we do? What tools do we have so that we really usher in to this beautiful place, including inquiry, you yeah. know, our intentions, how, yeah. who do we, who do we want to become? What, what lights us up the most about mm -hmm. stepping into this new t time where we get to reclaim this energy that we've been using so beautifully for our cycle? What an energetic process it is to get, to prep, to potentially prepare for making babies every single month, That's right. you know, and we get to reclaim that. 
That's what does right. that look like? You know, I'm, that's what I'm so excited about. My mom, she's turning four, um, 63 um, in a couple of weeks and she is running the New York Marathon. And wow. so she ran 20 miles over the weekend and then came and joined us at Disneyland. How do we decide? I mean, at 55, she was in Daisy Dukes, hair extensions, eye, eyelash extensions, living her best life, you know, and <laughs> best life. And so, what you know, we get to, we get to recreate and, and, and change the narrative of, of what that next phase goes into, it doesn't need to, it definitely doesn't need to include hormonal birth control into menopause at all. And so that, that's what lights me up so much of like that legacy, that wisdom legacy that we get to, we get to bring, just, just bestow to our family and our community. But when we, our bodies are working for us and they absolutely get to that, that's when we really get to step in. And women just, they, we need to know that that's all, we all, we get to have all of that when we get to, we know those tools. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I feel, I feel exactly the same. I see like all these women around me and especially I think because now our clocks are so different, right? Like women are having babies into their forties, right? So it's kind of an unusual time, it's right? Awesome. Like, I yeah, have my baby at 41. Yeah. So he's almost two. Yeah. I, I, I'm still breastfeeding. I got my period back two months ago yeah. and I'm just like, Ooh, it's yeah. been almost two and a half years. Like, what is this going to look like? How is this going to play out for me? You yeah. know? Yeah, mm. exactly. But I want women to go in with that fascination and that, you yes. know what I'm saying? That And not, yes. And I think that part of it is it's like the hormonal ill I won't say, I don't want to say problems, but I want to say just like, you know, the hormonal like changes and shifts that happen to us as women, honestly, it's easy, I think, for people to get overwhelmed by them, you know, because they're busy. They don't know what to do. What do I do? But I'm having a headache or I get this horrible pimple or whatever, you know, and it's just like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like it really doesn't have to be that way. And I think, and that's kind of, what makes me crazy is like, I'll tell somebody who's struggling, let's say, like somebody in their late forties who's, and I'll say, oh, you know, maybe you should go actually have your hormones tested and maybe do like a dried urine panel and do hormone testing and then talk to like a naturopath or a hormonal health coach. And then they'll go talk to the OBGYN and the OBGYN will say, that's ridiculous. Why test your hormones? Your hormones change every day. There's no point in testing them. And then what do you do with that information? You just feel, you feel like you start to doubt yourself. Right. And you're like, well, oh, so that's a waste of time. Is this some kind of, you know, a gimmick? They're trying to take my money doing this. And, you know, this is the problem. It's like, there's no integration. And so I just feel like, to me, it is like truly, I think like perimenopause, it's like the most amazing time and years, you know, and like you were just saying about, you know, having this baby and your mother and like, you know, that's how I feel. Like, it's like, I see, you know, how all my peers are are living. And if we miss that chapter growing up, like if we miss that, you know, in our teens and early twenties, it's like, this is the perfect time. And it's so empowering. Like it is so empowering to feel this connection to your body and to understand what's going on mm-hmm. and to be like, oh, wait, like, why am I having a little insomnia tonight? Oh, like, what day is it? You know, like understanding, 
you know, like, oh, I can take a little more magnesium tonight, or I can do that. Like the just like simple, like things that you can do or things you can eat or, you know, it's just, it's so empowering and so empowering not to feel like you don't have any answers. And like you're saying, you just keep going to these people that are trained in like a certain allopathic medical model and just have these kind of crazy answers like, well, you know, oh, you're 50, go on the pill. I mean, crazy. It's like crazy, you know? And so it's just, I totally agree with you. I just think it's this like amazing time. And it's, you know, I think at this age, it's like women have the confidence to be like, I know my body and I can- It's mine. And you know what? Yes. And I have, I can pull the tools- yeah. You know, because they are, they're there. I can find and figure out my non-negotiables based on what I'm needing right now. And I always talk about how our women, that's the one, the one guarantee I can promise every woman listening is that your body's changing. As the one thing I can promise is there's anybody <laughs> who's changing in, in, in chemically, right. daily, monthly, right. yearly, right. it's us. And right. we, you know, and, and the more that we get to own it, um, and really understand the nuances of who we are, how our bodies work, we can pull these tools. We can pull these resources. I do love having a team, but so much of it can be just, just in your home. You know, you, you got the tools and you understand your body and, you know, what you're going to need at 35 isn't the same as what you're going to need at 40. And what you need at 40 ain't going to be the same as 45 or 47 or 52 for that matter. And so the knowing that our bodies are ever changing and that we get to grow and develop and learn and apply the, the, the tools that are working for us in the moment, it's so empowering. And we really yeah. get to optimize those superpowers. Um, and I think if we can flip the script and change the mindset around it, it just opens up the world to so much more. It really yeah. just does. Like we just, totally we just really step into our power. And that's why I'm so happy to be having this conversation because I do believe women get to decide, but they get to decide with informed consent. But I also want them to know that there's a lot more at their disposal. I know. And thank God that you're out there, honestly. Thank God you're out there, Maritza, because it's like, you know, I think you are the front line. Like you are the people. And I remember I was talking to a journalist recently who is sort of being critical of the movie in certain ways and said something to me like, well, why did you include so many wellness influencers in the movie? And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't think of one person in the movie that I would consider a wellness influencer, not one person, every single person that's featured in this documentary is like you. Every single person has an MD, a PhD, is trained in hormonal health, has written a book or, you know, has a significant, you know, podcast or clinical practice, like every single person that opens their mouth in the movie. And then I was realizing, I was like, wow, I mean, to this journalist, like Dr. Laura Bryden is a wellness influencer. That is kind of what they're saying. Like, why? Because she has an Instagram account. Uh, you know, well, I mean, that's that what women are does. gravitating to it yeah. because they're like, oh, this is exactly what I needed to know. No one else is saying this. Right. But I feel like why? Because some people sell their own supplements or something. So suddenly they're an influencer. Like to me, an influencer is somebody who like gets paid to go stay at a hotel and post about it or, you know, like Paris Hilton. I mean, that's like what an influencer is to me. But it was interesting because. I thought, God, you know, you don't, you don't get it. Like these women are the front line, like what you are doing, you know, like you guys are filling the gap, 
you know? And that's what I said to this journalist. I said, anybody that I know and love that comes to me with a kind of hormonal health issue, I would refer them to anybody, anybody that whose podcast I go on or anybody who we featured in the movie or like, that's who I would refer them to right away. I would say, go to her, read her book, take her course, do that. You know, that's really who's out there with answers right now. No, you're absolutely right. And thank goodness we are. Thank goodness we are. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I just thank goodness. Thank goodness the tide is turning because we need it. We deserve it. Abby, honey, this has been, oh my gosh, so powerful. Tell me, how can we go and see the movie? I know I, I've seen it. I know a lot of my people have seen it, um, but <laughs> there are still a lot of women who haven't, and there are going to be women who tell women who tell women. So. Yes. Well, please go see it. It's so easy. You just go to thebusinessofbirthcontrol.com. That's it. Thebusinessofbirthcontrol.com. You, we also have a code that you can use, which is just B-O-B-C-50. So you can just punch in B-O-B-C-50 and that will give you 50% off the streaming. So we just want to make it easy and accessible for everybody to see. So please, please see it. It's right now available just in the U.S. and Canada, but hopefully that will be changing soon. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for helping to transform women's lives and women's health. The most important work. You You too. Thank you. Now, I have been very inspired by Abby and Ricky's work for a long time since I watched The Business of Being Born. I mean, oh my goodness, what a game changer. And it really impacted how I thought about not only being pregnant, but also what it looked like to give birth to Kingston. I mean, there's just so much that we are doing around women's reproductive health that could really use a a new perspective. And so I was really excited to see the business of birth control because I had had such adverse effects on birth control. I've known so many women, and yet we continue to push these medications on women every single day. Now, if you would like to dive in more and watch the business of birth control, which I highly recommend, I'm gonna have the link to go and watch it inside of the show notes. And you can just go to thebusinessofbirthcontrol.com and you will find it there. And if you are gonna watch it, I recommend grabbing some friends and watching it together. The more educated we are about our bodies and what goes into our bodies is just so important, especially as I mentioned, if it's affecting our reproductive system, our brain, and so much more. As always, thank you so much for listening in on the Essentially You podcast. This show is about providing tools and education and information to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. Now, if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this today, take a moment, screenshot the episode, and send it on over to them via text message or share it on Insta. That way, we can continue to spread the word about hormone literacy. And if you do share it on Insta, hashtag hormone CEO. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.